0: We're going to talk about a convention. There's a convention. Our house, our town, Duke football. One intention, one intention. That's to kick their yeah. up. Yeah. Kick their fing yeah. heavens up. All right, let's go. Hello and welcome to what we think is going to be the first episode of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 podcast. And my name is Josh Cox, and I am a lifelong Duke fan. Um, Been through the bad, been through the good, but we're here to talk a little bit about Duke football. We are going to be exclusively Duke football. We love Duke basketball. I got my Zion picture right over here, but we're going to be talking Duke football. And so, to our knowledge, no other podcast is exclusively dedicated to Duke football. And so, um, there's four of us. There may be some others on here from time to time, and maybe not all four of us on here every time, um, but we're going to introduce ourselves and then we're going to get talking about some of our off-season moves. So we'll um, introduce first the big dog. Big dog, introduce yourself, man.
1: How you doing? Scott Medlin, I'm a lifelong Duke fan. I've been here for the 0 and 11 to now where we're actually consistently going to bowl games and, uh, you know, love to see what we're at now and the future where we can go with Duke football.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, uh, Brian, man, introduce yourself.
2: Hey, everyone. Uh, As Josh said, my name is Brian, lifelong Duke fan. I think that's going to be a recurring theme from the uh, four of us. And like Scott said, I was, uh, you know, with Duke football for the best of times, the worst of times, and hopefully we're going to see even better times starting this year very excited to see what some of our recruits that are coming in can do for us and who can contribute, contribute, uh, starting this year, but also very interested to see what cut can do with this offense. Um, we'll talk more about that here shortly about, uh, some of the off season coaching changes, but, uh, you know, my one ask this year is that Duke goes to the all black jerseys at least one game. That's all I need.
0: Yeah, that that's the most important thing, uh, to Brian for sure. Uh, <laughs> for sure. The uniform, uh, critic there. Uh, Lastly, uh, Jamie, man, uh, let us know a little bit about you. Hey guys, I'm Jamie. I've been,
3: once again, lifelong Duke fan. Love Duke football, been going to games since Spurrier was there and everything in between. And looking forward to this year, looking forward to see how we bounce back after a subpar year. And looking forward to getting going with this podcast.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So look, um, we've named this the section 17 podcast and that's because we are cheap and we have season tickets us four and we sit in section 17 and we sit in the top row uh, because we like to lean up against uh, the, the, our backs up against the wall. Um, but Hey, we're content with where we're at right now. Um, but yeah, this is our first go at a podcast. Uh, we do want to try to bring you some solid content uh, none of us are professional journalists at all, um, but we're we're fans, and so we want to bring this podcast from a fan's perspective, um, but from an informed fan's perspective, uh, we do want to kind of give this though. We're not perfect, and so we may miss something. Like tonight, we're going to talk about off season changes. We may we may completely miss one of them. Uh, we're not we're not claiming to be like experts at this stuff. Uh, we just enjoy talking uh, Duke football. So. Um, I'll tell you what we'll do, Brian. I'll cook it over to you, man. And let's uh let's real quick talk about the coaching staff changes um and and what all took place. Some major, major things took place uh in the offseason. Go ahead, Brian.
2: Yeah, Josh, I, th- I think the biggest one, and it's something that we all heard in the stands almost every game, uh really from game one, and that's Zach Roper has been demoted from the offensive coordinator, which I don't think you'll see uh anyone shed a tear in the Duke fan zone for that. Uh, I think Coach Cutcliffe realized about halfway through the season he needed to do something, but I don't think he wanted to make that sweeping change halfway through the year. But as far as 2020 goes, Cut's taking over the reins. He will be the offensive coordinator uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, I don't think he has mentioned if he would uh, hire someone in the immediate future, but I think we can all agree that we were just going in the wrong direction. Uh, In 2018, we had Daniel Jones. We finished eighth in scoring in the ACC. We were averaging about 30 points a game, which was, for Duke, that's a lot. Uh, We were seventh in passing yards, 240, almost 250 yards a game. And then as far as rushing, not the best in the ACC. We had about 160 yards per game, but with those stats, we went to a – bowl game that year and we even won the bowl game Uh, so we all thought going into 19 okay you know we can do this again Daniel Jones is left we lost some other um, offensive firepower but we really thought we turned the corner Well, we really didn't Uh, you know as far as last year we went down in the ranks as far as scoring we went down from 30 points per game to 25 so that put us 11th in the ACC sorry you can't really win that many games if you're 11th overall in the ACC when especially eight of your games are against ACC opponents. Uh, Our passing yards dropped significantly. Uh, We were only averaging 180 yards per game. That was 13th best in the ACC. And then we actually improved um, in our rushing. We went from 11th to 10th, but we went from 160 yards per game to 150. So I guess the other schools decided they didn't want to run the ball as much. They wanted to pass it more. So, with all that being said, there's, there's only room for improvement. There, all we can do is go up. And I think uh, you guys will agree from what we saw when we saw Cutcliffe with the call sheet in his hands, we saw a glimpse of what he could be doing this year as far as plays go. We've got a lot of um, potential at the quarterback, which we'll, we'll get to later on in this podcast. But um, I, I really think we can be very optimistic about what this offense can do this year with Cut at the helm.
0: Yeah, Scott, man, speak a little bit. Speaking of Cut as an OC, think back, Scott, to those uh, Tennessee years, man. Was that 93 to 98? And just, like, thinking about, you know, who he coached and how those teams were. Uh, Peyton Manning – Peyton Manning became who
1: Peyton Manning is because of Cutcliffe. And those years that he was at Tennessee, I mean, he won a national championship after Peyton, and Peyton was – one of the greatest college quarterbacks ever, one of the great pros at that matter. But to look at what he did the next year with T. Martin to win the national title is just a huge thing. And he's always been a quarterback guru. You You can just look at all these great names, Eli, Peyton, Daniel Jones. Look at what Daniel Jones did as a rookie. Now, you know, he had some ups and downs, but all rookies do. But just the great quarterback guru that he's been, I'm hoping, obviously, with the future with uh, Chase Bryce coming, he will definitely develop him and put him in the situation to where we're sitting here at the end of the season when there's a season and going to another ball game like we should be.
0: Yeah, for for sure. And I've even – you know, T. Martin is kind of the unsung guy and cuts, you know, quarterback tree. But even he's turned into like a, a brilliant football mind that I know people are after him. Um, you know, like crazy there, uh, Jamie. Real quick, man. Let's move to the uh, let's move to the O line um, a little bit, man. Let's just talk through that a little bit, and uh, and then we'll we'll pick up from there.
3: Yeah, well, we got a new uh, O line coach. or old guy Jim Bridge has left, and he's heading to Memphis. Uh, new one. Coming in, Greg Frey, with stints at Florida, FSU, Michigan, and Indiana. He was a quality control analyst for the University of Florida in 2019, which I looked this up because we had no clue when we were talking before we got started. Was apparently a quality control analyst. He's basically in charge of game planning, you know, throughout throughout the season. Uh, Game planning ahead of time, like he's looking two and three weeks in advance. Uh, he was the offensive line coach for FSU in 2018, when they had 4,300 yards of total offense and 31 overall touchdowns. So, I think it's a good, solid change for us, and look forward to look forward to that being an integral part of the offense.
2: Yeah, for yeah. sure. Go ahead, Brian. No, no, no. It's just one thing that I'm I'm really hoping to see an improvement for for that O line is they allowed 28 sacks this year, this past year in 2019, tied for 86th in the country. So that meant that Quentin Harris was scrambling a lot, and that was not a, a, a production of a play that they drew out. So again, another area that needs improvement. I think Cut realized that, and also Jim went to Memphis. I, I was surprised by that. Um, I thought he resigned because he was kind of forced out the door, but he was actually off for that job at Memphis. But, again, another area of improvement that needs to happen almost immediately, uh, especially with these young quarterbacks
0: that we have coming in. Uh, Yeah, for sure. I agree, Brian. Um, Let me just say this. Y'all know I'm on on the Zach Roper. I was on the hashtag fire Zach Roper um, list last year. But I, I have to say this. When you have a quarterback who is somewhat hampered in throwing the ball, um, and then you have an O-line that is letting the defense in like that, your hands get a little bit tied. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that as an excuse for our pathetic third and nine, run the ball up the middle kind of play calling, but, um, I will say he was he was calling plays, you know, kind of one hand tie behind his back. So uh, one coaching change that I wanted to mention and speak into real quick. And uh I think initially the hit was really big on this, but the more that we've processed it, and that's Derek Jones leaving uh the secondary uh cornerbacks coach for Texas Tech, that is a step up from Duke. Um and so he got He got a really good gig. Um, I have to give him that. Um, And at first, I was super bummed about this. I believe he's a great recruiter. Um, I know he's an awesome locker room guy. Um, But the more that I think about it and the more that I thought about it, um, the guy that we got in, Chris Hampton uh, from Tulane. um, Obviously, Tulane is subpar to Duke. um, But their numbers are pretty legit. Um, Twelve interceptions in 2019. Uh, two interceptions returned for touchdowns. And the truth is, I mean, I think back at Duke and, uh, you know, back five, six years ago, seven years ago, uh, that's what we did. I mean, uh, Devon Edwards and other people like that, uh, we kind of made our living there, Uh, even uh, Breon Borders and people uh, during those years. And we really haven't had those explosive secondary plays. And the one thing that I think all Duke fans um, over the last two years have really gotten tired of is the DBs not turning their head back um, and just playing kind of that press man um, but but keeping their eyes on the receiver and never looking back. And oftentimes that ball coming right over their heads uh, to the wide receivers. And not that we didn't have some decent pass block-up uh, breakups and stuff, uh, but it is it will be interesting to see our DBs adjust to more of a traditional um, way of playing the ball. And I think it really could help um, guys like Leonard Johnson, uh, Mark Gilbert coming back. Uh, which we're not going to talk about Mark Gilbert in this podcast or we don't have it on the schedule to, but that's huge. And Carter and all those guys, I think having a little bit more of a traditional uh, way of looking at it. Now, Derrick Jones, this is my opinion about Derrick Jones. I actually think Derrick Jones would be a better head coach than a position coach. I think he's a motivator. He's a recruiter. I I, I actually think he could possibly be who comes back to Duke uh, post-Cutcliffe. Um I think he's awesome. I don't I don't mean anything negative towards Derek Jones. I think he's an amazing guy, but I think he might be even better suited to be a head coach and we've got that locker room guy now in Trooper Taylor. I feel like Trooper's kind of that Derek Jones 2.0 as far as the locker room goes. Um do you guys have anything uh, to add to the uh the coaching change there? I think game I mean, off the head. I mean, I
3: Go ahead. Jay. Same, oh yeah. Basically the same same thing you said like think we were all super disappointed when, when Derek Jones left. But I mean looking at looking at the stats, we were we were what, twenty fourth in the nation and passing yards allowed. I think but uh, yeah but we how many big plays do we make? I mean every time we're we're seeing a guy running with the receiver but he's not turning his head, you're not gonna make the big play like what you mentioned Devon Edwards used to make for us. I mean he would make the big play like, when we needed it. So, I mean, I think I think change is good in this situation. And like you said, Josh, I think Derrick Jones could be the future head coach of Duke down the road.
2: Well, and, and Jamie and Josh, you both make a good point. Sometimes these coaches need to get away from the program to really flourish and show what they can do in other divisions and other conferences with other teams. Uh, you know, and, and Greg Jones – or, or Derek Jones, I'm sorry, was um, – was brought in as the associate head coach at Texas Tech, so they know what they're getting there, and they're wanting to see more production out of Derek. And I'd be very interested to see how he does against the Big 12, because we all know the Big 12 is a non-defensive conference. We're talking five, six hundred yards a game in passing. So if he can really lock down some of these high-profile Big 12 teams, he's going to turn a lot of heads into the Big 12, and and maybe down the road, whenever Cut decides to to go off into the sunset, he would be a strong candidate to come back into Durham.
0: Yeah, I agree, man. And actually, one thing I forgot about um, about our, our uh, Chris Hampton, and I don't have the stat in front of me, but I saw something. And, Scott, maybe you maybe you saw this, where Tulane, either they led the country or they were in, like, the top whatever of pass breakups. And I, I couldn't find that stat somewhere. It seems like I remember seeing that. Um, I'll unmute you there, Scott. It uh, seems like I remember seeing that somewhere. Did you remember that?
1: I remember seeing that. that was one of the, uh, I don't remember the numbers, but yeah, that was one of the major things when they mentioned his name, because that was the first thing obviously the four of us thought of was the past breakups. That is just something that we would just die to see on a Saturday afternoon, and we never (laughs) saw it. We would just, oh, we're we're yelling, turn your head, turn your head, turn your head, and they never did. Not that they were going to hear us, but they never did anyway. So definitely the past breakups. That's obviously he's teaching them to turn and look as the ball's in the air. And that's definitely what Duke has needed for
3: years. Yeah, I got it right. I got it right here, Josh. During the 2018 campaign with Tulane, it just says the Green Wave led led the nation in passes broken up. It doesn't say how many. I haven't gotten that far, but just a quick – I did a quick Google search. So it was the 2018 year they led the nation in the passes broken up.
2: They broke the all-time single-game record against ECU in 2018, 20 pass breakups in a single game.
0: Oh, man, that is incredible. I, we, yeah, I'll take that all day long. And like I said, nothing against DJ, man. I love DJ, um, but I'll, I'll take some of that. I, I, I just look at a bigger DB like Leonard Johnson, who we've played at corner some, and seeing a guy that big, being able to turn, and and Gilbert, of course, Gilbert was an All-American before he had that uh, major hip injury, and we've missed him now for two years. So, I really – I think our secondary could really be um, what it needs to be. I mean, we got uh, Marquise Waters coming back, Leonard Johnson, Michael Carter. I mean, it's – we're set up out there, and um, and I really, I really feel like this could be a good year for us in the secondary. Uh, let's move on. Um, Scott, I'm going to give you first on this one, man. Uh, the biggest addition um, in the transfer portal uh, in Duke history. How about that? Uh, Scott, talk a little bit about the the big dog coming in to town.
1: Uh, Chase Bryce is just an unbelievable opportunity. You know, the quarterback that we need, I think, is our future for the next two years that we have him. Um, the, the, he got a lot of playing time there at Clemson since they were up by so many. and. They put Sunshine on the sideline. They put him in, came in and played ball. He's a dual-threat quarterback. Um, In the time that he was in there, he went 50 of 85 with 581 yards completed. He only threw four touchdowns and one interception. But let's be honest, four touchdowns and one interception would be great for a Duke fan. We would love to see that every game. So, and honestly, we're like kids at Christmas now. That That is our big Christmas present. And as soon as we unwrap it, the first game, we're all going to be excited.
0: Yeah, I agree, man. Even even just something as small as, you know, he spent two or three years uh, in arguably the best program in America um, there at Clemson with Dabo. And I, I thought it was really neat, some of the details about how uh, Chase went to Dabo and it explained to him what he was going to do. And, um, and Dabo actually made the phone call to cut. Um, to set everything up, which I thought was super awesome. Uh, you got some of these schools that are blocking their transfers from staying in the conference and stuff like that. And I just thought that was a really neat thing. I, I, you know, um, there, are, there are a couple of things I thought about. I mean, he obviously is used to playing with some superior talent um, that he won't have here in Durham. Um, and, and he – a lot of his play um, was against – was kind of like like Scott said, towards the end of a game. But there was uh, this past year, wasn't it this past year, when he came in and led that comeback? Um, I forget the uh, – go ahead, Scott.
1: It was two years ago. It was uh, – uh, where was it? I forget who it was. It was against uh, Pittsburgh. No, it was, it was like the first first game Trevor Lawrence had started after Kelly Bryant Bryan, transferred. Yeah. Was it, was about it
2: Syracuse?
1: The, Syracuse. I it was That's Syracuse. exactly what it was, Syracuse. And against Syracuse game about the – I think it was early in the second quarter he got – Trevor Lawrence got knocked out. Bryce came in, ended up leading the game-winning touchdown drive. And I think he actually scored the touchdown to win it on a draw play. But there's the dual threat right there. He's good with the football, throwing it. He's very smart with the football when he's running it. He knows to get down and get out instead of trying to take another hit and get three more yards.
0: Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. And I, I I think he's going to be great. You know, and Cut has said that the quarterback position is open. Um, you know, we obviously know of Gunnar Holmberg, a local product out of Wake Forest, North Carolina. Um, and we all love him. And we all, I mean, we were all wishing Gunner, uh, you know, would have had a shot last year. Um, but I believe with his um, knee injury, which never, by the way, they never elaborated <laughs> on what that knee injury was. Um, I don't know if anybody ever, you know, dug into that, but um, had a knee injury. And then Chris Katrinik, I, I I think everybody's just being kind to throw him in there. Not Nothing against the kid, but I think it's a two-horse race, um, you know, starting as soon as they can get back on the field uh, between between Chase and Gunner. Um, and I'll be honest with you, um, it's not a bad position to be in to have both of those guys. If we think back in Duke historically, some of our best seasons has has been when – Cut has had two guys that he can play um, in different times. Sometimes that would, honestly, I would feel like it would hurt us in some situations uh, because you'd have a guy like, you know, uh, Sean Renfrey or whoever, Lewis, get us all the way down, you know, to the 10-yard line, and then here comes in, the, you know, Brandon Canette. And I, I love Kanet but, um, but I do think Cut has done well uh, with two quarterbacks. And so I think if you add in Cut taking over the offense, with a fresh quarterback, whether it be what we're assuming is Chase Bryce, Um, I believe that we have a high ceiling, man, on offense, I really do, with our playmakers coming back, with Deion Jackson coming back, Mateo Durant, um, with our wideouts, you know, not losing a ton. Uh, There are wideouts. Shout out Scott Bracey, going to miss you, dude. Uh, But but having a lot of those young guys um, still in there, um, and then our tight end, Noah Gray. I think Noah Gray could be All-American uh, this coming year. And so I, I'm looking forward to, to Chase Bryce. The second one, um, Brian, if you want to speak to this, because I believe this is a super important as well, our second uh, transfer coming in. We've talked about it earlier.
2: Yeah, big Devry Hamilton out of Sanford. Um, you know, six seven, three hundred 300 pounds. Uh, he's still got two years of eligibility left. So – not only do we get Chase to come in for two years and help get this program back on the right track, but Devery, barring any injury or unforeseen circumstances, he could be a huge contributor to um, Greg Frey uh, because he'll be, he'll be starting fresh too. Uh, he was playing last year for Stanford. He, he was playing into four games and then he got injured. So then he had a red shirt. So, so one must, might want to think what could have been had he not been injured. He might still be out west at Stanford so while it it sucked that he had an injury it's a blessing for us because it made him reevaluate what he wanted to do Um, played 11 games started six of them in 2018 he was a four star recruit coming out of high school 10th best in the country 10th best offensive tackle so again another another benefit from us in the transfer portal this is probably someone we probably wouldn't have even had a chance of recruiting back in what 2015 So, I think he's going to bring a lot. He's going to help protect Chase um, or Gunner, whoever wins that starting role. He's got the experience. Um, You know, he's technically a senior, but with the red shirt and the eligibility that he has left, he's got two more years to hone his skills. I I think he could be all ACC. That might be way early, but based off of the the what I've seen with him coming out of Stanford, if he can stay healthy. That's the biggest thing. He's got to stay healthy. I can see him putting up some uh, – helping Duke put up some big numbers, especially in the passing game, even the rushing game, too, depending on where they place him on the line.
0: Yeah, and, and I do think that last year – I mean, you had uh, Jack Wallabo who was, who was awesome, um, transfer in. And uh, I think we've done really well with our transfers, uh, the few that we've, that we've brought in. I mean, uh, Jeremy Cash was a transfer in. Uh, um, a really good linebacker. I won't give him – I'm not going to say he was good in coverage, but he was a really good tackler. Um, but uh, but I, I did – I think the best rule that, that college football has taken on is that four-game redshirt rule that allows guys to play in four contests and still allows them to redshirt. And I actually wish Duke would take more advantage of it. We're going to actually probably dedicate one of our, our upcoming podcasts to our red shirts that are going to be playing this coming year, who sat last year or who played four games or less, uh, but I really wish I kind of wish Duke would do a little bit more of that and feature some guys uh, for four games, especially because of the way our schedule structured, we could really feature those guys in our non-conference games um, and get them four games of experience before hitting our conference play. Um, but I, I just think that's been a really, really good. Um, rule addition you know to to the to college football our last one we won't talk much about him uh jameric woods um he's a safety uh, out of michigan he's got one more year left he's a true grad transfer um and he only has one career start at michigan but hey we know this michigan is full of five-star recruits so that doesn't necessarily mean the kid's not talented um we we know how it goes um the 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 right kid gets in the wrong program, and he never sees the field. And we, we at Duke, even on our level, have those guys who we feel like, you know, the eye test, they pass it. But for some reason, they can't get their butt on the field. And uh, maybe that was him. Maybe he just needs a change of scenery. And who knows? I believe that strike safety. I know water is just going to be out there. But I believe there's a, there's a spot out there, uh, even a starting spot, um, that's kind of up for grabs a little bit right now and uh,
3: maybe yeah. he's the guy that, that gets it yeah i mean i was gonna say he's got good size i mean he's six 210. i mean who knows like you said playing behind a bunch of five stars at michigan maybe he gets in and gets with uh, chris hampton and and really really finds his finds his path at, at duke so you but just never know about these guys
2: yeah correct me if i'm wrong wasn't cash in that same type situation at ohio state when he came down so we could see him – it's only for a year, but still, every every game counts, especially getting back to where we need to be. And, you know, one thing I wanted to mention is uh, – going back to Chase really quick, guys, is, is one thing that we – an advantage for him is the majority of the teams that we're playing against these, this year, he's already played against. Now, true, it might have been their second or third string defense – But he already knows what kind of sets they're going to come, what what they're going to bring and stuff like that. This isn't going to be like Devery Hamilton coming from the West Coast all the way to the East Coast. Maybe he's played one or two of these ACC teams. But with Chase, I mean, looking at last year, he played the majority of the teams that we're playing this year coming up, Charlotte State, obviously your ACC school. So I think he's already got a step ahead heading into uh, this 2020.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I I agree 100% with that. Let's move on real quick, guys, um, to our recruiting. And I'll be honest with you, football recruiting um, is a tough thing for me to follow. I can follow other sports. We're not going to mention other sports in this podcast, but I follow other sports recruiting a little bit closer. Um, But football recruiting, um, the nature of it in college football, there's a lot of verbal commitments, and then a lot of flips and decommits. Um, I mean, we've 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 seen it at Duke. I mean, we've uh, just thinking about uh, Jack Sears uh, flipping to USC, and uh, and then uh, losing. Um, we're not even going to mention his name. Uh, losing the former quarterback in Chapel Hill, uh, the two-hand pass. Of course, now he's turned into a heck of a linebacker. But hey, um, but we did lose him on the flip. Um, but but let's talk through a little bit about what we have coming in. Obviously, this class is kind of um, – you know, quarterback in football always gets the – you know, it's the sexy pick, right? It's it's always the first one. But um, <clears throat> there's a couple of, I think, some really potential for some solid guys coming in. Um, Scott, man, you want to go through and pick out a couple of them um, on our list? And uh, you can go ahead and take the uh, – you know, the the – what what was his dad? His dad was some take take the soap star Scott. Yeah, soap star. That's it. Go ahead, take the young and the restless Scott. You got it.
1: All right. See, so we got Luca Dement. Or I believe Dement is correct. If I'm wrong, I apologize. Uh, the number eighteen quarterback was also three time All American selection there in high school. Uh, six three one eighty five from Santa Monica, California, um, compiled 6,787 yards with 70 touchdowns, which is pretty doggone good for anybody. Um, so definitely think he's going to need a year to put a little meat on his bones, maybe red shirt, but still great arm, very good player. Um, then we have Malik Bowen, a wide receiver, coming in from uh, Mount Juliet, Tennessee, 6'3", and 195. Now, that's kind of the one thing we've heard with, with a taller receiver. We've not gotten them to football over the last couple of years. Aaron so Young, we, with, we uh, see cut, you, Aaron Young. Over. Aaron Young, we see you, oh, bro. Babe. Yeah, the, Duke is the only team in America that has a 6'5", wide receiver that throw a fade pass to a 5'8 guy on the goal line. But anyway,
0: that's the hey, over there,
1: and that's
0: a, Look, mm. man, it didn't matter, man. It, it, they were gonna throw it to those five eight guys, I'm not gonna say anymore because like some of those five eight guys' parents are they're they're good followers of us, and we love them. But uh, still don't under, still don't know what was going on there. When you could throw it up to Ay, and you throw it up to somebody else. That's so. So
1: true. But Bowen Bowen had was the number twenty four overall prospect, the number three wide receiver. Um, He had 1,241 career yards on 72 receptions with 15 touchdowns, which is pretty doggone good for a high school. So, you know, looking at the youth there, and we kind of go on the opposite end with uh, John Tavius Robertson from uh, Gray, Georgia. He's 5'11 and 190, so probably a little scat back. Screen pass, man. But he compiled 2,500 yards receiving and 23 touchdowns in his final season final three seasons i'm sorry uh he was a four region four five a all region athlete of the year and he also lettered in track and field which has actually worked out for duke in the uh recent years we've had some our dbs go over to the track matt daniels was one of them that i can think of that had a very good career in track so it's you know, looking at athletes is kind of where the road we're going down, where in the past we may not have got – we've got players. I think we're now getting a little more closer to the athletes, which is definitely something in Cutcliffe's system that we can
0: use. Yeah, for sure. I think this little uh, wide receiver, he's got to wear number three, right? I mean, that's just its what you do. If you're short and you're fast yeah, – you gotta wear number
2: three. Uh, yes. Yeah, I was just yeah. about to say, is he gonna be the next uh, Crowder for us? I mean, 5'11, 190 that fits yes. the mold perfectly for him to run the slant route.
3: And talking about especially athletes. on the goal line on Saturday nights, <laughs> talking about athletes like Scott was talking, this next recruit on the list that Nikki Dal- Molin. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Tight end, we got him listed as a tight end. I mean, he was the number 60 overall prospect, number 10 wide receiver in Georgia. But what stands out to me is he also competed in track and field in 2019, broke their school record in the four by 100. I mean, that's, that's, that's speed right there. That's, that's elite athleticism, and that's what we need to compete in the ACC, I mean, if we're being honest.
0: No, no doubt. And the next one too, Jamie, that, that guy you just mentioned, and then Cole Finley. Um, out of Massachusetts, who was the number 33 tight end in the nation. Um, man, I feel like we got – those are the two guys that, I, that, honestly, as I was going through this list, those are the two guys who stood out to me because I feel like um, we historically we have really featured that, that tight end, and we featured more than one of them. Uh, when Cut has more than one tight end, he's not afraid to use more than one. And, uh, man, I, I love both of those guys for sure. Go ahead, Brian.
2: No, I was just going to say, I think with both these tight ends coming in – you were mentioning earlier, Gray could be an all-ACC uh, prospect. These guys are going to push Gray. Uh, one, because uh, you got Dal- Dalmolin, like Jamie was saying, is fast. So you got a lot of guys focusing on Gray in the tight end role, but Dalmolin, he could, he could be technically a, a fifth, sixth wide receiver on the field with his speed. But then Cole Finley, he's got height at 6'6", 240. He's a big boy. That's, that's Gronk right there, just a little bit shorter. So, you put him and Gray on opposite, you know, ends of the line. That could be very interesting, a 2 tight end set for some of these passing plays.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and we can't forget uh, is it Jacob Marweed. I'm not sure how you say his last name, Marweedy. Uh, he was, I believe, the second or third highest recruited football player we have ever brought into Duke. He's a big tight end. He has never gotten his shot. He's never gotten a shot he's one of those guys that maybe he's the right guy in the wrong program, I'm not sure. But um, I really feel like that tight end crew is going to be stacked, I mean, stacked this year and, uh, and maybe is exactly what we need for a guy like Chase. Um, first year in the program, first year cut, call in place for, for a while. Uh, he had not done it in a while. Um, or he hasn't officially done it in a while. Um, but, uh, but I believe it'll be interesting to see him uh, maybe use those tight ends as as his safety net, which I think is great for a quarterback. Cool. Moving on, um, Scott, pick back up, man. I think we were just done with the tight ends. Um, yeah, pick back up, man. The big boys, Scott, you're the big dog, man. Pick back up at the big boys.
1: This does seem to be my expertise in the big the big boy department. Uh, we got Graham Barton. Offensive lineman from Brentwood, Tennessee, 6'5, 300 pounds. Uh, number 14 offensive guard in the nation, the number nine overall prospect from the state of Tennessee. Um, which, you know, they grow they grow him big on the O line over in Tennessee. Uh helped his team to go to 41 and 13 during his four years, and he had a state title appearance there in 19. So seems like he has a he's had a pretty good career. Uh, we also brought in Caleb Perez from uh, Pierlin, Texas, 6'5", 295, another place they know about offensive linemen in football. Uh, he was ranked by 247 Sports as the number 78th uh, offensive tackle overall. He lettered all four years in track and field. I'm pretty sure that's a discus, but still. Hey. That's a big, strong boy. It doesn't matter. As long as
2: it's track and field, associated with a 6'5", 295-pound offensive lineman, it don't matter. He's, he's got quick hands.
0: Well, and what that tells me about the kid is yes. that – it. what it tells me about him is that it looks like – I like these kids who don't just want to specialize in one thing. I mean, it looks like these guys that are, that are running track and doing different things, um, it shows you they're well-rounded guys. And I, I think that's great, man. I think that's good, especially for, uh, for your O-lineman, man. That's, that's probably the smart – other than quarterback, uh, it probably requires the most intelligence and and maybe the most athleticism in some ways, um, you know, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, <clears throat> but that was all of our offensive – well, it's not all of our offensive guys. I got, I got one. I'm going to take this one, man. This is close to my heart here. So, the, go ahead, Brian. Did you want to say something about the others? No, I was going to
2: say, this is your boy. You have been talking about him all day long, Josh. So, you, please, the floor is yours.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so here's here's why. So I became the biggest AJ Reed fan last year, um, as all as if you've been following Duke football, you know AJ Reed uh, started his career, um, and just as as bad as you could do it, really. Um, I believe it was three years ago, uh, literally cut. We wouldn't we wouldn't kick a field goal, and we we kind of joke about it. We'd be at the ten yard line and we're still not in field goal range. Uh, but uh, but AJ, he really struggled. There's just no way around that. Like I mean he. He was horrible, just being real. Um, And then uh, he sat and I believe he actually got in a little bit of trouble um, on the team um, and was suspended. Um, But he came back last year, and even at the beginning of the year, we weren't sure. Um, Because last year we kind of pieced, I'm sorry, 2018, we kind of pieced together um, our kickers and we used different guys for different things. Uh, but he came in this year, man, and we called it the AJ Reed Redemption Tour. Um, he was super accurate every time he made a field goal, man. I just I was so excited for that kid. Uh, anytime you see a guy like that, I, I think of Jale Duncan uh, back in the day, running back for Duke. He had some issues, and I believe he got suspended for a year or for some amount of time. But he came back, and whenever those guys do that, man, there's something about that to me. I absolutely love rooting for guys. Uh, that are willing to stick it out, and so that was AJ Reed. But AJ is a grad transfer, and you really can't blame him. I'm excited for the kid. Uh, he announced where he's going. Um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head uh, where he ended up. Um, maybe it was like Wisconsin or something. Nebraska, I think, is, is somebody wearing red. I think it was what's in my head. Um, but uh, <clears throat> but anyway, so who we brought in? We actually brought him in last year. His name's Charlie Ham, and he redshirted um, in 2019. Uh, Ham is uh, supposedly legit. So he, is the, he was the number seven ranked kicker uh, in the 2019 uh, recruiting class, ESPN says. Um, and here's all you need to know. If you're around high school football much, which I'm not as much um, as like Scott, um, but um, the fact that my man made multiple field goals over 50 yards in high school and what you got to think about in that is you got to have a guy that can actually snap the ball properly, and you got to have a good holder, and then you got to have guys that can block long enough for you to get that field goal off, and uh, for him to hit multiple. I believe his long as fifty-four yards um, in high school. I'm I'm pumped about having kind of a jack of all trades um, guy, and I believe he's going to do everything for us um, kick in the kicking game. And so, uh, Charlie Ham. Um, is his name? Anybody know anything else about uh, Charlie Scott? Go ahead, man.
1: Well, I was just going to comment on the AJ Reed. He uh, is going to Arkansas. He's going to be a Razorback.
0: That's where the red. The red was in my head. I knew it was somewhere that was red, and they're close enough. So he, he hey, might
2: th- be rethinking that decision after their year last year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you
2: know, I new was new comment
3: on the new coach. Go ahead. I was going to comment on Charlie Ham. Just saying, you know. Anytime you can like Josh said, anytime you can kick fifty plus yard field goals, I have a I have the utmost confidence that he's gonna be able to do it at Duke. And I think he'll end up I think it's the type of kid. I watched some video on him, I think it's the type of kid that you'll end up seeing play on Sundays one day.
0: Yeah, kinda of like Ross Martin should be doing right now. Um, absolutely exactly. no reason. No reason why, with all the mess of of NFL kickers, why Ross Martin couldn't land a job. Uh, I know my man couldn't kick, but maybe like 54, 55 uh, at the most. Um, but still, there's uh, there's something to be said about an accurate kicker. And give me an accurate kicker that can kick 50 yards, and uh, I'll pay him if I'm, a, if I'm a GM. So let's move over to the defensive side. Um, and this is kind of where we'll conclude tonight. Um, <clears throat> not as, you know, uh, we, we don't know. Defense is one of those things. We see guys flip from being a DB to being a running back. Uh, we'll see guys move around. they may come in as a linebacker and they may wind up in the secondary or whatever. Um, but let's go through them. Um, <clears throat> I'll start with Isaiah Fisher Smith. He's a uh, in-state guy from Greensboro. Um, he's a DB and he's six foot 200 pounds. So he's got a little bit of meat on him um, and he's not you know 59 which you know sometimes we're really good at getting. Um, and 24/7 sports rated in the uh, 71st. Uh, safety in the nation. Um, and his stats are pretty good. I mean, blocking punts. So I could, I definitely think if he plays as a true freshman, we'll see him in special teams. Uh, interceptions, forced fumbles, sacks. Seems like just the kind of kid who's all over the place. And once again, guys, we know this. I mean, these are high school numbers. I think offensive high school numbers are a little more uh, stable and they tell a little bit better. Defensive high school numbers, I mean, really depending on the level of competition you played, um, you, or, you or I could have been in there making some tackles, you know, who knows. Um, but, but he seems to be, once again, another kid who was track and field. Um, and so seems to be just an athlete. And I remember when we did land him um, that there was some uh, pretty good uh, excitement there on Twitter, on the Duke football Twitter there. So um, <clears throat> the others, and then I'll pass it off. Uh, Daquan Johnson is another D B. He's from uh in Alabama. Six foot one ninety, so he's not quite as stout, but he's getting close. Um, good numbers. Um he was he's a both sides of the ball guy. He played offense and defense. So we really don't know um where he'll end up. Um but he's listed <clears throat> as a DB. Um I do think this uh Jalen Stinson's the last D B. <clears throat> he's a he's a shorter guy. 5'8", 170, uh, but he's the 62nd-ranked athlete in the nation. His numbers are gaudy, uh, 221 tackles, four interceptions, eight touchdowns, two forced fumbles, blocked field goals, defensive player of the year for three years, um, all region, all county, everything. Um, I wanted to take those three DBs because I want to make this point. I think it's important. We talked about Derek Jones earlier, and as of right now, none of these three guys have flipped or decommitted. Um, and I think that's important um, because you know whenever you do, whenever you have a coaching change, you always run that risk. Of obviously, Derek was probably the lead uh, recruiter on these guys, or if he wasn't the lead recruiter, he was the guy he was the closer uh, for them. And so I think it's it's really cool we're getting these three secondary guys, um, even though we we had a coaching change um, there in the secondary. Um, so let's see, pick up from there. Um, whoever wants to go, man, let's, let's get, let's go through the rest of these guys.
2: Well, we got, we got linebackers next, Josh. Um, starting off with Christian Hood uh, out of Missouri city, Texas, six feet, 210 pounds. I needs to gain a little bit of weight, but you know, again, coming out of high school, these things happen. He was ranked by 24 uh, seven sports as the number 63 outside linebacker nationally. So you're starting to see a trend here. You know, that's one thing I wanted to mention years past. We would get two to three-star recruits, but they wouldn't have any national recognition. Everyone that we've reeled off tonight has gotten some type of national recognition. Now, mind you, there's tons of recruiting websites these days, but still the fact that we're in the top 100, if not the top 50, with all, most of these recruits, both on, on both sides of the, of the ball, that tells you where we're going and where we, where we can go. You know, we can keep building this recruiting program back up. But, again, it, it's just in his career for uh, Christian Hood, 210 tackles, 17 sacks in his career. Man, those would be good numbers right now at Duke if we can get some of that action. So he could really contribute early on. Then you got Dorian Moosey out of uh, Detroit, Michigan. I, I did a double take when I did my research because it said he played at the University of Detroit Jesuit. That's actually a high school, not a, not a, not a juco college. I, I checked my facts before, uh, before we went on. But uh, 6'2", 215, again, good height. Probably need to add some weight on. Uh, rivals.com put them as the number 57 outside linebacker nationally. Again, nationally recognized players coming into Durham. Um, just his senior year alone, last year, posted 10 sacks and six forced fumbles. Again, stats that we would love to have in Durham every Friday, Saturday uh, that we would play a game. And as a junior, he had 85 tackles. So we've got some good recruits coming in to, to work that linebacker line. Um, and then, uh, oh, forgot, Ryan Smith out of uh, Ackworth, Georgia, 6'2, 210. Again, good height, needs to add a little bit more weight. Uh, yet again, ranked by 24 7 Sports, 70th best inside linebacker nationally. Uh, for his career, 393 tackles three sacks. He even intercepted the ball a few times. You don't see that from linebackers that much. That tells you he's very aware of where the quarterback's going to throw the ball. Four forced fumbles. Uh, and, and the big thing, I mean, he's been named defensive player of the year, all region, all county. So he's got a lot of accolades coming in with him. But I mean, this right here, this this linebacking core that we have coming in, you know, maybe in the next year or two, they could really be posting some, some strong numbers with this defense that we already have set uh him do. Yeah, for
0: sure. Um Scott, I'll be interested to hear your um feedback. I don't know if you've ever seen uh if you ever saw this kid from Nightdale, um the D lineman Aeneas Peebles, if you ever saw him or what you know about this guy.
1: Let's see, about that. I've never seen him. I've heard the name um uh, Peebles from nightdale The D lineman six two two sixty five. Uh Rated by Rivals.com as the number 48 defensive tackle in the nation, the 15th overall recruit in the state of North Carolina, which is unbelievable for Duke. Um, He compiled 195 tackles, 27 sacks, 20 quarterback hurries, two block field goals over the last two seasons. And this past season he was uh, selected as the 2019 4A defensive player of the year, which is unbelievable. And I don't believe we've got anybody
0: in state like that in years it's been a while it's been a while and and i wanted to <clears throat> scott read through the stats quickly in the last two seasons twenty seven sacks um that's an incredible number um and once again uh if you want to think about you know who he's played in high school it's a four a player um and so he's he's not playing cupcakes uh, we uh, we know a little bit about the the football the high school football landscape around here and so um, he's not playing uh, terrible teams at all, and putting up just gaudy—I mean, gaudy—numbers. Uh, and I'm just—I'm super pumped that we landed this guy.
3: I mean, I was really excited about the last the last few recruits that we got defensively. I mean, those Peebles, like you said, I mean, 27 sacks—that's insane for anybody. Like, I don't care where you're playing. And he's just—he's just straight up bullying whoever he's going up against. So, I mean, that's that's good to see. And to speak from what Brian had said before, all these guys are getting national recognition too, like this next guy, Michael Reese, another defensive lineman. He was ranked by ESPN as the number 31 overall prospect, the number four defensive tackle in Tennessee. So we're going into Tennessee and taking the number four defensive tackle. Like That's pretty impressive recruiting. 85 tackles, 25 tackles for loss, 11 sacks, forced fumble and two fumble recoveries over the final two seasons. So pretty impressive stats there from Michael Reese as well.
2: What well, what what you're seeing and what you're hearing it's becoming a trend guys is that these guys are breaking through over lines. And again, it's high school, but it's going to translate uh, to to college. They're going to be the ones that are going to be breaking through pressuring quarterbacks, stopping running backs for loss. I mean, the, the, the proof's in the pudding with the numbers we've been reeling off. You know, what they're doing in high school, they're going to translate that to college, hopefully sooner than later.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Our final uh, defensive guy on our list, uh, Gary Smith third big old boy from Shelbyville, Tennessee, uh, 6'2", 3'10". Um, He's a big old boy, and he's ranked uh, the number 89 defensive tackle in the nation. If you think about that, I mean, dividing that up by states, I mean, that could be that he could be top two or three, depending on what state he's in. Uh, he's all-state selection um, as well. Um, I think it's really neat, and, and we can maybe uh, finish talking about this, um, on that D-line, I believe if there's been a consistent coach for Duke over the last three years, it's been Ben Albert. And he has brought a fresh perspective to our defensive line. Um, I mean, we've got a guy like Chris Rumpf who is getting all these national accolades right now. And you and I know, we, we watch games, we're at every game. Chris Rumpf didn't play half the snaps. Um, we have literally a rotation where our two-deep at defensive line you you take off our, our starters and you throw our second string in there. And there's there's plenty of times where I'd rather have those second string guys in, especially if it's a pass rush, a third down. So um, I just a huge shout out to Ben Albert. Um, really love that guy. And I think anytime Cut is willing to go outside of the family um, and bring in a guy, we got Ben Albert from Boston College. Um, I believe anytime we're willing to go outside the family, um, it does nothing but help us. Yeah, I mean if you look at you look at Ben Albert, say say if he's the defensive line
3: coach at somewhere like Alabama, he's getting, you know, he's getting interviews for jobs, like head coaching jobs. Like I'm surprised he hadn't gotten more more interest here at Duke just because of everything he's done. Like speaking to the consistency, like you said, Josh, of our defensive line has been the most consistent thing over Cut over the last few years.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, when we got guys... I'm
3: kind of selfishly
2: happy that he hasn't been getting those job interviews because he he could have been leaving like Derek Jones, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I I just hope we're paying our our assistant coaches. Uh, Well, I I haven't looked at the breakdown compared to what other schools are paying them, but that's the only thing that keeps these guys around, uh, as if they have a comfortable living and maybe they got kids in high school that they wanted to finish out their schooling or whatever, but Um, You know, you can't blame these guys. You can't blame DJ for, you know, seeing an opportunity um, at a bigger school uh, with a bigger salary. Um, All these guys have, um, you know, their professional goals that they want. And I know Cut is huge on loyalty. So I I don't ever think that these guys are are leaving with a bad taste in their mouth either. I think they know that Cut is super loyal. In fact, I believe we would argue that maybe he's too loyal um, since certain people are still on payroll uh, within the, the coaching tree. Um, but at the end of the day, um, he is loyal. And, um, man, I'm, I'm happy for these guys if and when they ever, you know, take off and go somewhere else. Um, but uh, but I definitely think that uh, if we – the longer we can keep Ben Albert and Durham, uh, the better off Duke football is. That guy is a, a master of what he does um, for sure, for sure. Well, look, um, this is kind of um, – Coming to the end of our first podcast, uh, we're going to listen back to the audio and uh, and post that. Section 17 is what we're calling it. Um, and can we just say, I believe from all four of us, um, this is obviously during COVID-19, and um, that's why we're not together recording this podcast. We're all local. We all grew up around Durham, um, but uh, the reason we're not together is because of this. And uh, Just stay safe, um, follow all our recommendations from there leaders and um and then pray for those you know that are affected by it and hopefully we'll get back um back to normal soon and we don't know what this football season is going to look like if we even have it but we're gonna we're gonna prep for it um just like you know we would any other any other season
2: yeah And, and guys this is um and i'm talking to everyone that's listening We we wanted this to be as enjoyable as possible. As Josh said at the beginning of the the podcast, we 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 don't know everything. We're not here to try to act like we know everything. We're just here to bring you guys more information that you might not know that the average Duke fan might not know. So we're going to do our hardest to give you as much information to help you guys. And as we get further into the season, these podcasts could obviously evolve into something bigger. We could have guests on the show. You never know. It just depends on um, you know how far we can take this thing. And as Josh said, we're, we're going to get ready for the season as we get to the season. And more than likely, as the season progresses, we'll we'll transition more into our opponents for each week as we have these podcasts. Uh, but if there's anything that you guys think that we should talk about, please comment uh, in the group page. That's the biggest thing. We want to make this uh, as entertaining as possible. And please make it topics that we can actually talk about. Don't I mean, we can be cute. We can be funny. But we want to do something that can take 45 minutes to an hour of our time, so we can really, you know, go through the facts and delve through what we need to talk about.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I want to mention this: if you're not a part of our Facebook page yet, uh, look for Duke Football Talk on Facebook, and then on Twitter, uh, we're at Duke FB Talk. And as of right now, those are the two places you can catch us. Um, we're going to be uh, uploading some things to podcast apps and uh, possibly regular websites. Here pretty soon. So we thank you guys for the support. Uh, please hit us up with any questions. Um, until next time, this is the Section 17 Podcast of Duke Football Talk. You guys have a great night. Your energy and your effort was outstanding. I mean outstanding. Duke gang all on three! One, two, three! New gang! All right! Yes, sir.